0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation.
1: You are listening to The Happy as a Mother Podcast, and today I am excited to welcome Dr. Jen Douglas to the show. Dr. Jen is a mother, wife, licensed psychologist, and clinical assistant professor at Stanford School of Medicine. I've come to know her through her Instagram, Dr. Jen SF. She is here to address the topic of perfectionism. Perfectionism, generally speaking, is a really interesting topic to me, but it is so essential for us to understand perfectionism and its role that it can play in new motherhood and in our motherhood journey, because it is a sneaky trap that so many of us can fall into. During our interview today, we'll come to understand what perfectionism truly is, whether it is helpful, or unhelpful, and some ways that we can work to overcome perfectionism that holds us back or that we get stuck in. Perfectionism can play a big role in perpetuating feelings of failure and inadequacy in motherhood, so it's so important for us to understand this topic and how it impacts us day to day. Before we dive into my interview with Dr. Jen, let's hear the review of the week. This iTunes review comes from Ronnie0611, and it's titled, The Podcast New Moms Need. I started listening when my baby was about three months old, and I'm so happy I did. This podcast became therapeutic for me. I felt so seen for my intrusive thoughts, hormonal phases, emotional hardships, and just being new to motherhood please keep talking about how hard motherhood is and let's lift each other up, give each other a hand when needed. It takes a village and oftentimes it feels like we are alone. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for this review. I appreciate the fact that you guys take the time. Let me know your thoughts and what episodes are resonating with you. That's what helps shape this community and this resource for moms. Thank you so much. Let's hear my interview with Dr. Jen. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And again, I have to just thank you for being gracious with our little scheduling mishap we had today. And I feel like, of course, of all days to have it, on a day when we're talking about perfectionism, it just feels too ironic and too sort of fitting. So welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And our little scheduling mishap is an awesome example about how imperfection can drive us totally up the wall or we can take it in stride. So I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I just, I appreciate you being so gracious about it. So I, one of the things I love to learn about the guests that I have on here is how they started to become so passionate about the topics that they specialize in. Cause I often bring in people who've kind of honed in on a niche and there's usually a juicy story behind how we got, you know, down that direction. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, how did you come to specialize in and really hone in on perfectionism?
0: Absolutely. That's a great question. And, and I'm smiling because it, it is both a professional and a personal story. Mm. Uh, I originally came to psychology. I was not going to be a psychologist, but, uh, I took a class on eating disorders and I thought it was this amazing, interesting field. It really dovetailed with my sort of feminist values. And so I really, went gung-ho towards learning about psychology and eventually going to graduate school. Then I started to learn about how to treat anxiety and depression, and especially trauma, histories of trauma, and how that comes out later in life, which I know is near and dear to your heart as well. And so perfectionism has really turned into this thread that sort of weaves its way through all of these different difficulties that we might have. We might have perfectionism about how we look and what we eat or what we feed our children. We might have perfectionism um, that comes out of our anxiety. And so we have to do our work perfect. We might feel depressed. And so we're self-conscious about ourselves and our relationships. And so we want to be perfectionistic in how our relationships look. So it can come up in all these different ways. And even if somebody isn't struggling with pure mental health diagnosis, perfectionism can creep in in tiny ways and I really noticed it because I fell into that kind of category of high achieving, a bit perfectionistic, but it was always sort of rewarded by society and I could sort of pull it off. You know, I could put in the extra work at night. I could do X, Y, and Z to take care of all my friendships and relationships as quote unquote perfectly as I could. And then I had a daughter (laughs) and that's where all my time went. And suddenly I couldn't do everything perfectly. Yeah. I couldn't work outside of the home perfectly and be the perfect parent and keep my house perfectly clean and make all the food from scratch, it wasn't possible while maintaining any semblance of myself.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That's and that's when
0: I, I got really passionate and wanted to sort of bring this to the masses because it is so prevalent in our society. And it's this particular kind of flavor of anxiety that gets rewarded and reinforced. And then we, if we let perfectionism take over our lives, we wake up you know months or years later exhausted not participating in the things that we love really with a life that's sort of geared around what our life should like rather than what we actually want
1: i can't wait to get into all the aspects of this cuz like i'm getting all the goosies even just thinking about about all the areas that we're going to get into today because perfectionism this is i think this is a really familiar journey for so many women is that we can kind of get away with it until motherhood yeah. And then it's like, just kidding, there's no way, there's no way that you're going to parent perfectly. And I learned in my maternal mental health training, they were talking about some of the sort of red flags or things that are not red flags in terms of like DSM criteria to be mindful of for postpartum depression and anxiety, but more um, anecdotal and with their experience being mindful of certain personality traits, perfectionism, if you go in to you know labor and delivery mom has just given birth to a baby and she's got like her eyelashes on and her hair (laughs) done and like all of these things I have to tell you I couldn't shower and get my makeup on fast enough after I had my kids because anyone who showed up wasn't gonna see that I had just been through this like entire like my body war whatever it was Mm -hmm. and so perfectionism is so Um, we may not think it relates to new motherhood, but it is so prevalent in these sneaky ways. And I can't wait to expose some of those and understand it because we constantly feel like we're failing due to this perfectionism, right? Absolutely. So why don't we define a little bit what perfectionism really looks like for those who are listening? Because like, is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to be a perfectionist? Let's unpack it a little bit. Totally. I
0: really appreciate, you know, acknowledging that a little bit of high achievement orientation or perfectionism can be good. But like everything else looked at from a mental health framework, it's all about dosage. A little bit of perfectionism can be helpful. You know, it it makes us motivated to take care of the things that really matter in our lives. You know, it, it gives us energy to do that. But if the dosage is too high, if we have too strong a perfectionistic tendency or trait, then that's when we really feel like I have to do things perfectly. If I can't do something perfectly, that I'm going to avoid that thing. Or if I can't do something perfectly, I'm going to get stuck in the research stage. Like I'm going to find the best scooter for my three-year-old and Mm -hmm. I've read 450 Amazon reviews and it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm on my phone and I have to be up at six. That's where we really see it eating into people's time and eating into their ability to enjoy motherhood and enjoy their children and enjoy their relationship.
1: I think about it or explain it to clients in that we can strive for excellence and want to set up the bar that is just outside of our reach in order to push us that extra Mm -hmm. mile to grow out outside of what we're comfortable in. But when we set standards that are so unrealistic, perfect, 100% all the time, we have failed before we've even started because it is so unrealistic to expect those things from ourselves. And you said something that's also really key that I hear come up with clients a lot is this getting stuck in this over-researching. And this can happen in so many stages of motherhood. This can happen in... How the heck am I going to get my baby to sleep? And we are in all the research because obviously it's a very, you know, um, touchy topic, sleep. Yeah. It's not fun in those new new stages, right? Or I'll even see um, when I have clients who are struggling with postpartum anxiety, anxiety and or depression, um, researching the things that they need to be doing. And sometimes they're already doing all the things, but they're like needing, I don't know. Sometimes there's just this, I have to be strong. I have to find the answer. There's something I'm not doing, this sort of trying to will themselves out of a situation that isn't their fault even. So this and research I, can become a disservice at times. And I think what you said before about
0: you know, setting the high bar, but if we set it too high, it becomes impossible and we fail before we try. With motherhood especially, that that bar is not necessarily put in that place by us. Yes. but society has this impossibly high bar for motherhood you know all the way from how quickly somebody can recover from postpartum anxiety and depression to do you look great in your newborn photos when you just gave birth 6 hours ago mm-hmm. you know that perfectionism is handed to us as women and as mothers through society and then we sort of internalize it over time but it's not organic nobody came out of the womb saying I need to be perfect. Oh, do my thighs look this way? Oh, you know, am I holding this bottle right? This is something that's induced just by our environment as well.
1: Um, I'm taking notes of these things as we go because they're like sparking little pieces of information for me. I think that it's really important to understand. I work a lot with expectations. Understand these expectations that we've internalized. Um, we have observed them from the time we could conceptualize what a mother was, you know, all the way back. And we are telling ourselves for years before we're even in a mothering role, the type of mother we want to be. We collect all of these expectations, all of this sort of data about who and what we think a mom should be before we've ever spent a single moment in that role. So I understand that it's important to have Like we all have expectations, but they have to be malleable. We have to be able to readjust our expectations um, given new data and criteria because we can't, I don't know, it it boggles my mind that these expectations are so firmly rooted for a number of reasons, Uh, like obviously society and, and how we've observed our own mothers and several things being a part of that. But then, when we get in the role, we don't we don't take the data, we don't adjust because we just feel like, well, everyone else is doing it, and we should be able to do it too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I I think that at the root of a lot of perfectionism, there's also a concern that if I don't do something perfectly, then I won't be fully accepted by my partner, by my family, by the other moms. You know, I, I remember feeling anxious about talking to folks about when I was going back to work outside of the home because I wasn't sure how other people would view that. You know, I remember feeling pressure in terms of making my kids purees from scratch. And, you know, whether or not you even choose purees or baby led weeding is like this huge emotionally sure. decision. And so, but when we as humans are trying to do something perfectly, we're trying to ke- take cues from our outside world so that we sort of fit the mold and can be accepted.
1: Mm-hmm. So we use perfectionism almost as like a guard or defense to gain acceptance from others. Exactly, exactly. And, and when you treat perfection, you know, you were talking about, we have to be flexible, you know,
0: these ideas and priorities have to be malleable. Part of what learning how to cope with perfectionism looks like is understanding that when we are imperfect, we can still be accepted. We can Mm. still be good moms, we can still be good partners. But we aren't given an imperfect model for what that looks like because we don't have really good accurate real life models of what motherhood looks like.
1: That's so powerful. When we are imperfect, we can still be accepted. And I would even go as far as to say that those are the meatiest, most, you know, life giving connections of them all are those ones that we've shown up broken in and been Mm -hmm. accepted regardless, right, versus this almost like kind of counterfeit for true connection, I guess, where this person's liking me because of the the mask I have on or the, the role I'm portraying type of feeling. My best mom friends are the ones where I text them
0: because I am about to totally lose my mind because my kid won't go to sleep and it's 11 o'clock at night. Those mm-hmm. are my ride or die people who I feel accepted by. They're not the folks where I have this more surface level you know, look, this is what motherhood looks like. They're the people who are in the trenches with me that are the really valuable reinforcing relationship.
1: Totally reminds me of this really hilarious conversation I had with a group of girlfriends yesterday where it was like all about vagina care. Like, is this normal yeah. for this to be going on with my vagina right now? Like, I don't, I think it's normal. I don't really know if it's normal. And like, you know, you've found your people when you can have conversations about vagina health. And just <laughs> so yes. yeah and it's so it's a very different feeling to have that type of connection but it takes so much courage and it's so vulnerable and I feel like this brings us all the way back to like all of Brene Brown's work it takes yes. so much vulnerability to show up and be seen by people and to ask for help or admit that we're struggling it's so hard for moms to admit that they're struggling and I think that. You
0: know, we can do this in small steps in a way that we don't need to come out and say, oh, you know, I'm struggling. This is so hard. And and a lot of times when I talk to people about embracing imperfection and showing up in a more authentic way, they're very intimidated by that. You know, a lot of my folks, I ask, you know, when was the last time you did something imperfectly? You know, kind of only sort of half asked the work thing or bought the school the store cookies rather than making them from scratch for the bake sale. You know, when did you do that? Mm-hmm. And some people can't remember. It's been years. They'd rather stay up till three o'clock in the morning, you know, sewing the Halloween costume than to go buy the one at CBS. So what I talk to people about is just dipping their toe into imperfection. Yes. That, to sort of test the waters. And and this is how we find our people and find the people that we can be really genuine around. Is We see, you know, where's the other mom who can say, Oh, yeah, you know, I didn't finish the sleep book. Or (laughs) where's the other mom who said, you know, yeah, I got the hand-me-down crib. I didn't look at all of the different paint styles in which one was made organically by, you know, a mother hen in you know the amazon and so it's perfectly pure you know we have to find those little ways we can let imperfection in and then what happens is we signal to other people that it's okay to be imperfect and we start getting that energy back
1: i love that i think that it's It has to be attainable and it has to be so easy for us initially that um, we're not so walled up and scared to do it, right? So if you think about like the simplest way you can start to embrace that imperfection and it might look like even if you're really like rigid about sleep routine, about routine, it might look like purposefully pushing a routine off by five minutes. It might look like putting the clothes away, not meticulously folded or like, I don't know. I have a laundry pile, so I can't, I can't, (laughs) but I mean, there are these, these little things that, um, we can start to kind of practice. I think that tolerating mess can be a big one for when we feel a uh, mess is a big trigger for moms in terms of their house and people it being feeling drop-in ready and that this mess is a reflection of us, which can be a big trigger for perfectionism. So even learning to um, engage in some messy play and tolerate mess for a little bit, these types of things are little stepping stones to to working on some of that imperfection, right? 100%. There's a There's an entire...
0: Section of I have a course coming out on freedom for perfectionism, and one of the modules is called "perfectly imperfect," or sorry, "purposely imperfect" for exactly that reason. Exercises like that.
1: Yes, I love it. So when I think about perfectionism, I'm having two thoughts at the same time here. One, I feel like clients and people, generally speaking, don't like to hear that we need to like move the bar down. Like it feels like a I don't know. Like the, like an insult. Like how dare you ask me to lower my expectations kind of feeling. Can we unpack mm-hmm. that for a minute? What what's going on there? 100%. And
0: there are two parts of this. And one is, you know, going to hearken back to all of our psych training back in the day. Yeah. So, one idea that comes up for perfectionists is if I'm not perfect, I am the absolute worst version of X and there's no middle ground. So if my house is not perfectly clean, then you can't see the floor. It's absolute chaos. You know, there's not... A fresh pair of underwear left for any of the kids. You know, it's really, really, really bad. We're talking about imperfection as something like, oh, it's okay if all the toys are kind of pushed to one area of the room or kind of vaguely in their bin, but not perfect. So we're not asking somebody to not care at all, which is, I think, what a lot of perfectionism Folks with perfectionism think about when they're talking about releasing perfection. We can still care about these things. We can still have a relatively high bar, but it doesn't have to be completely infallible all the time. The second piece that's really important is that we can have a super high bar for some things in our life. There's some things that are super important. I, I do have a very high bar for how much time I spend with my little one. I have a very high bar for how I show up in the room with individual clients and how I show up in my job and teaching. But the things that don't matter don't need to have my perfectionism show up.
1: It's really good. You're right. It's that not everything is equally weighted. And one of the traps of perfectionism is that we want to give 100% in all areas all the time. And then by the time we're we're sort of working with a perfectionist client or having conversations to try to, you know, figure out what's going on, there's such a sense of, of burnout because or like not knowing what to prioritize and challenges with prioritizing because everything feels equally as important as the next thing right
0: and so really
1: grounding down to our
0: values and what really matters to us where where we want to put the high bar and where we can be a little bit more flexible mm-hmm. you know i've had clients who say you know i make every single scrap of food organic from scratch nobody else touches it and that's totally fine they can make seven course meals for their family if they want but they can't do that see every soccer game. If they work outside the home, you know, do every work project to the nth power, you know, and have perfectly coordinated clothing and hair done all the time and makeup done. Like something has to give. Yeah. If we get out ahead of it, then we can choose what's going to give and what we're going to have flexibility versus the kind of burnout and sometimes resentment towards all these pressures that we sometimes feel when it's too late.
1: And I think about, like, how one would go about prioritizing the things that are perfectionist. And to me, this brings back, like, a values conversation. I'm going to hold maybe my high standards to the things that I truly value, and I'm going to be able to let go of some of the things that maybe I don't hold as core values. So, for example... There is an expectation that moms keep houses a certain way. But if my core value is that I don't get that much time with my kids in the day and I want to spend some quality time with them and I can't do that and have a clean kitchen, then I'm going to allow my perfectionism in the house area to be trumped by my, my stronger value in that situation right? And sometimes that also relates to work. I really value, like you said, showing up for my clients in a certain way or putting out these resources for moms. And I feel like that has an impact and that's going to have a greater impact and aligns more with my values than maybe folding my laundry mountain right now that has been neglected a little bit, right? And and when you have and know your values, it helps as a bit of a system to prioritize what you're going to give your all into where you're hundred percent too, because we have to be selective about the areas that we do that in. If we think to some sort of more CBT approaches to um, cognitive behavioral therapy approaches, for those who may not know what I'm referring to, there are some thought traps that are that keep us really stuck in perfectionist type thinking or behaviors and i'd love to shed some light on those and unpack them a little bit one of the the well you had touched on one this sort of black and white and all or nothing all or nothing thinking um there's a few others i think of like shoulds Shoulds are a really big one that come up. Yeah, maybe we can unpack shoulds first. How do how do we deal with? But I should be putting all of my effort in a hundred percent, or I I should be having a clean house, and that is something that I feel like I need to and should be doing.
0: So shoulds are incredibly powerful, especially in the motherhood realm. And one thing that I always ask folks to look at is where the shoulds came from, and the sources are fascinating. You know, sometimes. Our shoulds come from our generationally what our mothers were told. You know, the idea of X, Y, and Z is super important. I realized that some of my shoulds were straight up coming from advertising. Crazy, right? Social media consumption. right? Like Mm -hmm. I needed to find the best stroller on earth for my kid. Otherwise, again, all or nothing thinking I was a bad mom if I didn't find the best one. And so really thinking about where this stuff came from and whether or not the source of that should aligns with our values and if we agree with that source.
1: And how can one work on this all or nothing thinking? I think partially it's awareness, awareness that it's an all or nothing thinking, and that is a trap that we're stumbling into as a piece of it. hundred
0: mm-hmm, percent. So I talk
1: about, you know, one of the classic things we talk about
0: with black and white thinking is CBT, uh, is we look for the shades of gray in between. But one of the other ways of thinking about it that I like a little bit more is we're not just looking for shades of gray. We're not looking for a compromise. So it's not like if I have a messy kitchen and my black and white thinking is telling me, well, you're a good mom if you have a clean kitchen and you're a bad mom if you have a messy kitchen. It's not like if I have a messy kitchen, I'm saying, oh, I'm an okay mom. Like that's not how that works. We're not just doing a 50% compromise. Right. So what I like to think about it is like stripes or polka dots or plaid in that, I can say, yeah, I'm not that great at keeping my kitchen clean when it's covid, I'm taking care of my kid, I'm working outside the home, all these different things, and I'm, you know, working on my relationship, my romantic relationship with my partner, but I can still be good and great in these other things that matter more to me. It's not being yeah. defined by just the one thing that's bothering us that's, you know, not going perfectly.
1: Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, Snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com/slash momwell50. And use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics. But taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science & Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science & Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast that's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I feel like it's taking a step back and realizing, like practicing some self-compassion and sort of surveying the context of the situation. Because I think one thing that happens as we get into this shoulds and self-loathing spiral and we just believe the thoughts and we get trapped in them and we kind of, you know, continue on that spiral versus stepping back and saying, wait a minute, what is going on today that... I'm struggling to keep up with X, Y, and Z. Is it a pandemic? Is it that my child has, like, my child care has been canceled and I've had my child at home for this long? Is it that the kid ha- the kids are teething or, or like something, you know, surveying those sort of vulnerability factors or those things that are playing a role and then being able to counteract or shut down our inner critic with some self-compassion to say, it's okay, like there's a lot going on here. Your kitchen will be clean tomorrow or we'll find a moment for this later. The priority right now is this. Absolutely. And and I'm so glad you were talking about more global, you know, and sometimes, you know,
0: especially in the case of 2020, more chronic stressors. You know, mothers are constantly dealing with chronic stressors. when. You know, what I see, what I've seen in other folks, and certainly what I've seen in myself as a mom, is if something else is bothering us, there's something we can't control, like COVID, like our childcare situation, you know, whether our kid is struggling to learn to read, you know, at school, then we will look for something that we can control. So all of a sudden, it's going to drive me nuts that my kitchen isn't clean when there's something else in my life that's not going how I want it to go.
1: That's a big one. That's a really, really big one, because I I see this with... Things feel out of control, therefore we restrict our food. Things are feeling out of control, therefore we work out in order to feel like we're changing our body. Things feel out of control, so we become very rigid about our baby's sleep schedule or the types of food that we're cooking in the house or these types of things that create such an enormous amount of pressure for us and and feel the opposite than self compassion right because yeah. especially when that control is exercised against ourselves it it is a it's a grasp for control it's a grasp to feel some certainty but it is um i don't know if self harm is quite accurate but it, it's it's like a sort of self-sabotaging way of going about dealing with it when really what we need is some compassion in those moments. What is the role of self-compassion in overcoming perfectionism, would you say? If I could just hand out social compassion or self-compassion
0: prescriptions all day, that's exactly what I would do. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. because if if
0: we did show up with the same amount of compassion that we have for our children, for our friends, for our partners, if we could turn that inward, then a lot of this need for perfection, again that that rigidity around perfection rather than just having a high bar and, and wanting to do well. That would loosen because, again, we wouldn't have this idea that we need to have a clean kitchen or we need to feed our kids all organic from scratch in order to be a good mom, a valued person, you know, somebody worthy of love. That need for perfection drops away when we see ourselves as valuable humans just in the
1: first place. Yeah, it really ties back to that. Um, we do these things in order to be accepted, whether it's by our mommy friends and those who we feel have these expectations or whether it's by ourself and feeling good enough as a mom. Like that acceptance, I feel like goes both external and internal. Like there's two kind of components to it. So... That inner critic, and I've touched on this in other sort of trauma episodes and things on the podcast, that inner critic, where would you say it comes from? It's an, an internalization of lots of things probably, but yeah, what, what do you think? Yes. So
0: I talk about where perfectionism develops is coming from different areas of our lives. And sometimes it can come from really harsh external criticism or harsh experience of the world like trauma. You know, mm-hmm. just briefly kind of mentioning trauma in particular. If someone has experienced trauma, they've experienced the world as unsafe and right. unforgiving to some way. And so fitting ourselves into this box of not coloring outside the lines, not doing anything unexpected, you know, doing the best of XYZ, coming home with the, you know, A grade when we were in middle school, all of that is a coping mechanism around a more chaotic or unforgiving external environment. And so you see perfectionism as a Really prevalent characteristics of people who've lived through trauma. Mm-hmm. Again, with this idea of they're either going to experience something perfectly, like they're going to have a best friend who you know they can call at two in the morning, all that kind of stuff, or if they can't engage in something perfectly, they'll shut it down and they won't participate it, in it at all. Right. So they'll have the ride or die of friends, but they won't have a larger social circle because. We can't have perfect friendships with every single person. So trauma is definitely an avenue, a prevalent avenue to perfectionism. We also see it a lot in our environments growing up, whether it's that we went to schools that demanded high achievement, whether or not our parents or caretakers were really critical if we did anything wrong, Mm -hmm. um, whether we experienced actually not criticism we, when we did something wrong, but just perfection was expected. I have a ton of clients where, you know, I asked where perfectionism came from and what it was like growing up. And they said, well, you you just wouldn't get anything but an A. You just, you you wouldn't do that. That wasn't an option in my family. And that can show up in things like grades and academics, but especially for women, it can also show
1: up in how women look. Big time.
0: You know, there, there, there are folks in our generation who grew up in the way that their, you know, parents wouldn't let them out of the house unless they looked completely put together and quite feminine and quite attractive, you know, canonically and all this. And that can drive this perfectionism wedge from a very young age.
1: It's always fascinating to me how the inner critic, you know, forms and, and its relation to perfectionism because I, like my oldest son, I can see the perfectionism in them already. And his environment, I I would like to say and hope to say, is quite supportive of, of his, you know, best effort or attempt or whatever that looks like. He's only in kindergarten. So, but, like, to the point where he wouldn't want to practice writing his name in front of people, or he would be writing his name, get one thing wrong, get frustrated, crumple up the paper and not want to do it again. So I do like it's almost like sometimes this is part of temperament and trait and personality and how how we go about parenting that in our children, I feel like can make a really big difference. So, so what can we uh, focus on a little bit for moms who might be seeing some of these things in their Their children. How can we parent them in like a compassionate way? Love it. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And I, I totally empathize with that. One thing
0: that's super important, and I I enjoy. It's very uh, different than how I lived my life before I became a parent. Yeah. But is really embracing sort of the imperfection and the messiness that we can have as adults. Little kids will often, my daughter will ask me to draw something because when she draws, it's just scribbles at this point. She's two. Um, So she'll ask, you know, mama, draw a tiger. And I used to draw, you know, tigers. And then I realized that she was seeing the difference between what I drew and then what she drew. And she viewed what she drew as less of a tiger than what I drew. So now when my little one asks me to draw something, I do scribbles like she does. Mm -hmm. And we draw together. And you sort of see this in that they look to us as their model. And if we only do the things that we can do well in front of them, you know, I remember when I first had her as a little tiny baby, I was super self-conscious of singing. I cannot sing. <laughs>
1: it's upsetting when I sing. And <laughs> my two-year-old puts his hand over my mouth and says, yes. mommy, stop. <laughs> yes. It's rough. It is
0: not cute. Okay. And, and I, as as she grew older and I realized this, I realized that I had to show up with my really unattractive singing because I want her to go out in the world and do things that she doesn't think she's good at and try them and see if she enjoys them. But if she doesn't see me get up for family karaoke and just fail at a Whitney Houston song, then she'll feel like, oh, you can't get up and fail. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of modeling that imperfection for our babies.
1: Yeah, it, it makes me think about um teaching like distress tolerance to our kids right Uh, And this is a big part of emotion regulation, a big part of um, so much to do with their development. And what that means is not making things so easy and sort of cushy for our kids that they have um, examples, even in their play and with their friends that create frustration that we don't swoop in and alleviate. Because what happens is, and I had had a situation of this, we got a new marble run. It's like a happy or like a wooden marble run, and it can easily... be knocked over mm. and I'm thinking to myself oh lord I should have gotten a different marble run that sticks together because this is gonna be a nightmare these three kids are just gonna be you know fighting over this they're knocking it down and all of these things and I was like well it's actually really helpful in their play for them to learn to moderate their their, their like excitement with each other and to like regulate their impulse control and yeah. to really brain solve how like like brainstorm it and problem solve how they're going to work together to keep this thing standing and still mm-hmm. be able to play with it so it mm-hmm. took like I kind of sat back and observed but one I was mindful that it piqued my own anxiety and my first reaction was to alleviate the discomfort and that is a really really big piece that we need to learn as parents because had I done that I would be making it more quiet in the house, which was potentially the appeal. But I would be taking away a really sort of critical um, frustration and, and tolerance building exercise for them. So they went back and forth. My oldest would build the marble run. He's five and a half. The youngest, who's two, would come in. He would start to play. And inevitably, in his excitement, he would knock it over by accident. And then my five-year-old would be like, oh, come on. Like, what's going on here? I have to rebuild it again. And then the little one would get upset. And he would turn to him and say, it's okay. You're just excited. You're excited to play. Let's build it again. We can do it again. And I watched this for about a half an hour. The two of them figure it out back and forth. And the initial frustration of the tower collapsing and then the problem solving, how they were going to do it. And then they ended up building a tower that was... Not as many levels high. That was more sturdy that they could both play with without it tumbling over. And that whole sort of learning opportunity, when we want to be like perfectionist about it, or when it's alleviating our anxiety, we we kind of circumvent or can get in the way of those opportunities sometimes.
0: Hundred percent. You know, this is and that's so lovely. That story just warms my heart.
1: (laughs) It's not always a win like that, but that one I did. I counted that one as a win. (laughs) It's true,
0: and you know, talking about observing our discomfort. You know, we made cupcakes because it was my father's birthday, and so my daughter made cup made cupcakes, and she's scooping into the cupcakes, and I was just watching my blood pressure rise and fall as like the batter's flying everywhere, and it was such a cool thing to just step back and observe and say, you know this is not the end of the world. You are very uncomfortable with this as a parent right now. And yes. just kind of watching and allowing her, her version of what she wanted to do. But, but that, you know, sets off all the perfectionistic alarm bells of, oh, she's going to ruin her dress and there's going to be batter everywhere. And to really embrace that imperfection and let them enjoy that part of childhood, just like mm-hmm. with the mother, the same exact idea.
1: Yeah. And I think that in us, Tolerating that discomfort and in us allowing for these like imperfectly perfect moments that are messy but fun and playful, we're modeling that and they're learning, even in their maybe sort of perfectionist temperaments, like my oldest is, it's okay. It's okay to make a mess, it's okay to have an accident with something or knock something over or make a mess. Mm -hmm. And no, there are boundaries. We will be expected Mm -hmm. to clean the mess up, but we can have fun in the, in the moments of being messy and being playful, right? I'm loving this. I, I saw, like I knew from like a clinical perspective coming into this interview, how impactful perfectionism is, but as we're really unpacking it in new motherhood and in the context of our conversation, I'm really seeing how it's so, so prevalent in this new motherhood stage motherhood, generally speaking, new mother or not, I would say probably. Yeah. And I think each phase kind of brings new
0: ways, you know, thinking about schools, we're thinking about what school she's going to go to and then watching that perfectionism flare up of, oh, this school versus that school and the research, you know, I think every time our child embarks on a new thing, there's an opportunity for perfectionism to creep in. And so maintaining that awareness is super helpful.
1: That's a really good point. As we think about walking on our journey to being more aware of our perfectionism, challenging it with these, um, you know, little achievable ways to kind of wet our feet and get used to being imperfect, I think that we can fall into the expectation that once we start to practice, we are cured from these things. (laughs) Is that that the case? Ah, What is our relationship with perfectionism going to look like over time?
0: Yes. So I, I definitely identify as a recovering perfectionist. I I like to use the term recovery because it's not, it's not a check the box like anything else, mental health. It's not a check the box. And it really honestly can be Fun. I promise. I'm promising it actually be fun to watch our perfectionism and watch it ebb and flow because it does change. And it and it's all coming from a core of love. You know, it it comes from us wanting to be loved and accepted by the people we love. When our perfectionism comes out, you know, sometimes it can come out in our kids and wanting our kids to perform very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really us wanting them to be loved and accepted by other people. And so it's it's not this, you know, dark, terrible thing, but when we look at it with self-compassion, we can sort of see the funny ways in which it creeps up here and there. And especially, you know, as a mom, you know, who specializes also in body image and and those types of things, raising a daughter, Mm -hmm. you know, our relationship with, um, How to battle perfectionism with how women look and how to raise girls who are body liberated and body respectful and body accepting, you know, that's going to change every six months, you know, until she's, I don't know, 40. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. really embracing that this stuff can come out in different ways, but the process is always the same. And if Mm -hmm. we learn how to battle it and and gain freedom from it, then the content of our perfectionism might change, but how we get relief from it is always the same.
1: Yeah, I think that is so applicable to so many areas of mental health, as you said, like our grief comes in waves, Um, you know, depression or anxiety comes in waves with seasons and the context of what's going on, right? You will have these relapses or you will have these times when your anxiety flares up or your perfectionism flares up or your mood might be might be slipping. But if you've been practicing those skills, your recovery to the length of time of which you have to sit in that feeling like we can we learn to manage to we can condense it and we can go through those setbacks faster and we perfect perfect those skills over time. Right. Here I am. We (laughs) hone those skills over time by practicing them in each of these situations so that um, we know we can manage this flare up or we know we can manage um, what our mood or our mind or our thoughts might might throw at us that day. How would one know, and I think we touched on this in the beginning, but let's kind of draw like a clear line for people who might be listening. What is helpful versus when it starts to become unhelpful? When does perfectionism start to, because like you said, it's an adaptive, like it's a, um, like a defense and it's a behavior that can be quite adaptive and serves to protect us in many situations, but it does teeter into being unhelpful. And, And what would you say are some of those distinguishing... Features of unhealthy, sure. Mm-hmm.
0: sure. And I go into way more depth in this because it's a much longer conversation, and, and different people catch themselves in different ways. Of but some overarching, you know, tips and tricks that are helpful is if our perfectionism is leading us to behave in ways that are not values aligned for us. So if I'm up until two o'clock in the morning researching what soccer league is best for my kid or what scooter has the best ratings or, you know, whatever, then I'm literally going to be tired the next day and going to be way less able to show up as the parent that I want to be and the partner that I want to be and the human that I want to be. And so that's where perfectionism is actually edging in on our ability to live the life that we want to live because we're giving it so much time.
1: An example of this that I think about in my own life is since having a postpartum body of three children Um, and and having gone through this transformation of really like body love and acceptance and really embracing my value regardless of how I show up physically in the world. um, Mm -hmm. I will have moments in COVID being one of those moments where I'm like, nope, that's it. I need to change my body. I need to do it. I'm going to go sign up for this. I did like a, an exploration call with this training sports training company Mm -hmm. near me, and they're like, what do you weigh? What are your goals? What do you want your stats to be? What do you want this? And it was going to cost me like my mortgage a month (laughs) and all of my time and effort, I'd have to entirely change my whole, like I'd have to count calories and be on a really rigorous plan, mm-hmm. work out five to seven days a week. And it would have consumed all of my time and energy. And I got off the call and I was like, nothing to do with that aligns with my values, nothing. It doesn't align with how I feel about my body. I don't even weigh myself. I refuse to, having gone through this transformation, right? And, and I'm just like, I actually had this moment of like, I don't actually need to put in all that work to love myself. And it was like a win, but also a like, whoa, this, I, like that was the mindset I used to subscribe to. And it was such a vast sort of eye-opening experience for me, mm. but I'm sure that that plays back into this whole, we, we aim to control in times of feeling chaotic and we've been in COVID and stuff like that. Right. So Interesting. A
0: beautiful. It's a beautiful example. And and that's exactly what catching your perfectionism looks like, because we don't catch it ahead of time. I can't tell when I pick up my phone that I'm going to do four hours of research on school districts, you know, in our area. Right. But we kind of catch ourselves when we're knee deep or even, you know, neck deep in this thing. You might be on an elliptical for however amount of time and your kid's like, mama, I want to show you my picture. And you're like, oh, oh, wait, I'm deep in this perfectionistic game. I have to take a step back. And that's fine. Yeah. We recognize it and we reorient back to our values like kind of a North Star.
1: I love that. And my value around health is to be healthy and be able to do things with my children and interact with them and have a long life and take care of myself. It's certainly not to eat, sleep and breathe food and exercise. For every day of my life so as a i say compromise but as a having thought through that situation i ended up getting a standing desk and a walking pad so on days when i'm doing client notes and other work i can be walking getting movement in and feel better about how i'm caring for my body but also do it in attending to the things that i value and prioritize and that are important to me and so it did take some time for me to find a solution that i felt like fit for my priorities and my values and all of those pieces but after that phone call off I was like I can't sell my soul to have my pre baby body like that's just <laughs> not a thing I'm willing to do at this point not happening. I have so valued this conversation. I think it's going to be so helpful for so many mamas out there. I heard that there is a course in the works. Tell us what you're up to, where we can find you online. So I am new to this sort of social media
0: world. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, traditionally an academic and a psychologist with a private practice, but as probably happened with you, it's, it drove me nuts to only be able to help one person at a time. Yeah. So, yes. So I Uh, I'm on an adventure into the land of Instagram. People can find me at Dr. Jen SF. Uh, I'm normally based in San Francisco. Uh, So I'm, so I'm Dr. Jen SF on Instagram. And then on September 21st, I am releasing my first course, which is called uh, freedom from
1: perfectionism, how to regain your time and live an authentic life. So exciting. By the time this yes. airs, your course may be live. So I'm going to tell everyone to check yes. it out. How will they be able to find you by going through your Instagram page through your links? or yes,
0: exactly. And so it's going to be super accessible uh, and very self-paced. This is made for folks with busy lives. So it's videos and then an e-workbook that can be done totally on demand in real life. It's not, you know, from two to four every day for a week because that's unsustainable for so many people.
1: I love that. I love that. So the workbook is like worksheets to help to walk them through that reflection piece of uncovering our own kind of thoughts and traps and things like that. Great. I love it. And I'm going to be like, Side note, DMing you about how I'm going to yeah. get into this group. Oh, I'm, I'm going to send
0: you a copy. <laughs> Don't worry, girl. I got
1: you. I'm like, how do I get into this group? How do I do it? <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, thank you for being so gracious with our our little schedule hiccup there. And uh, can't wait to have you back. I'm sure that we can find more to dive into with this topic. It's a big, it's a juicy one. So Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it so much. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week if you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show you can find them in the show notes which is linked in the episode description or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there if you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.